0: Hector Bravo, what's up, man?
1: What's going on, bro? Hey,
0: thank you for uh, coming on Thinking Bigger with Kevin Feely.
1: Thank you for having me, man.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, former military veteran, army, prison guard for a long time in the California prison system, which is insane. Uh, why don't you let everybody know, uh, who anybody who doesn't know you, a little bit about who you are and what you're about?
1: Yeah, I'm from uh, Brawley, California, small town, Southern California, borders Mexico, Mexicali, Kind of borders Arizona, Yuma, and is nothing out there, man. It's a lot of drugs, dirt, and two prisons: Calipatria State Prison and Sentinella State Prison. How'd you grow up? Um, not rich and not dirt poor, but pretty poor. Uh, up until the point that my father became a correctional officer and then the money started getting good.
0: Got it. Okay. So your dad was in corrections and then that led you in. Uh, did he kind of inspire you to do that? <laughs> no,
1: he was totally against it, you know, and I kind of see now why.
0: Yeah. Did that make you want to do it more?
1: Yeah. Every yeah. time somebody tells me I can't do something or shouldn't do something, it's uh, I'm like, I got to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too.
1: wonder what that is. Uh, curiosity, you know, just being a kid or just yeah, wild.
0: All right. So you didn't grow up rich. You grew up kind of poor, but not like dirt, dirt poor. So lower middle class. Uh, What was Uh, your... I mean, you know, being asleep and my mom would tell me
1: there'd be little mice or rats that would run across our stomach and definitely the cockroaches on the floor. I mean, that that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. So, okay. Okay. Um, now when you were, so with you saying that you are very rebellious, I think Mm -hmm. like in terms of somebody tells you, you can't do it. You want to do it. So were you pretty rebellious in high school getting in trouble a lot or so bad, bro?
1: So bad. Um, especially when I got introduced to alcohol and I know we talked about my sobriety and I got 12 years of sobriety. Congrats. Thank you. When I met alcohol or when alcohol met me, I was like 14, 15, probably a sophomore in high school. And then once that got introduced to my life and I started getting the attention, attention of girls and kind of letting loose, that's when I was making poor choices.
0: Got it. Okay. So what got you into drinking? I mean, it sounds like you're in an area where there's not a ton to do, right?
1: That small town, there's nothing to do, so people swim in canals. I mean, that's what people do, swim in canals, go out to, like, the haystacks or out to the desert and drink alcohol, keg, keg parties. Mm -hmm. And my cousin, who was older than me, I looked up to him, still do, he's a cool dude, and he took me out to my first party. You know, I might have been, like I said, a sophomore or a freshman, he was a senior in high school.
0: Yeah, wow. They had that
1: jungle juice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that. mix up and and just pour a shit ton of alcohol in it, and yeah. Yeah, you drink one cup of that and you feel fine. You drink the second the first one hits and all of a sudden you're blacked out.
1: Yeah, man, but I remember being hooked.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I went. Go for
1: it. Well, then it was on to having older friends buy bottles of Jose Cuervo, you know, and and keeping those bottles in my backpack hanging in my closet, hiding. Got it. It's kind of bad.
0: When do you think you went from, because everybody that becomes an alcoholic or struggles with alcohol, whatever you want to call it, uh there's a point where it's fun and then it turns mostly into problems, right? And in between that, it transitions from being super fun to less fun, more problems, and then more problematic. So when did it really, the fun kind of go away and it become just like a regular thing? Sounds like pretty quick.
1: Quick enough to the point that when I was a senior in high school, my parents gave me the ultimatum. Hey, you can stay in our house and follow our rules or you can get out of here, go live with your friends and drink as much as you want. Later. Sounds good to me. So if I'm already making those type of decisions, <clears throat> I'm already kind of choosing the alcohol over everything else. Right. And that's what I did.
0: Right. So what kind of trouble were you getting into? I mean, were you just. So just... the
1: trouble, trouble, trouble didn't come. And I they get, I got a lot of breaks, man. I've gotten a lot of breaks in yep. my life. Even in the Army, showing up drunk to work when I should not have been showing up drunk to work. The sergeant's like, look at me and say, hey, take it back upstairs and go to sleep. You know, they should have either beat my ass or hammered me. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, the trouble, trouble, trouble with the law didn't come back till I came back from Iraq. Really? And out of the army. That was in trouble with the law. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So from what I heard in your other interviews, you wanted to be a correctional officer, but you couldn't until you were 21. So you wanted to fill that gap. And Correct. that's why you went into the army.
1: Yeah. 17 to, I got out when I was 20, 17, 20, 21, had to fill that gap. Yep. There was a two year hiring freeze. So at the age of 22 is when I came in.
0: Okay. All right. So tell me about the military. What, how did the military change you? And, <laughs> uh, you know, tell me, tell me some stories.
1: I've always been a jokester, man. The class clown had my hair long. And I'm wearing the Baker skateboard shirt. I was a skater for sure. <clears throat> Did like my senior project on, on skateboarding, making a skateboard company and uh, which is actually called Torment Skateboards back then. And then I joined the army and then the alcohol, alcoholism and alcohol consumption progressed, bro, because I was stationed in Germany. Hmm. So you only got to be 14 years old. Seemed like 14 years old to drink there. Yeah. So it was a lot of partying hard and training hard. Extremely hard. Damn. Blacking out. Um, then Iraq hit in 04. Well, I go to Iraq in 04. The war kicked off in 2003. That's when I changed as a person as a as a human uh, a lot of uh moral injuries as far as my innocence leaving you know it's deeper than it's deeper than good and bad or good versus bad or good versus evil it's more so like hey, to my core these were my morals these were my beliefs and now everything that i'm participating in and experiencing has been shattered
0: mm And you're still a child right like Hmm. we kind of talked about that earlier when you're 18 19 20 even like 21 you're still a kid you're still not fully developed and your brain is still developing into your 30s so what do you think were some of the things that happened that really shifted who you were as a person and you mentioned your innocence leaving I mean you go from being a high school kid drinking getting into fights at parties whatever to going to war
1: yeah yeah, you're right. The human brain doesn't stop developing until the age of 26. Mm. And I was learning how to kill people. I was learning how not to get killed. I was learning how to consume a lot of alcohol. I didn't do drugs till after I came back, but I was learning how to consume a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. So imagine your brain. Imagine your brain learning all this stuff. It was absolute hell to to unlearn it un- unwire it that right uh, fight or flight anxiety <clears> hyper <throat> um, uh, hypervigilance, you, I'm telling you that's what it looked like that's what you're filling your brain with
0: right now to fast forward a little bit I do want to I want to go jump forward and then come back to yeah. this but so fast forward to you being a, a, a corrections officer how much of your military experience and maybe just life experience through being in a war zone? which prison is a war zone. You always have to be, I'm sure, hyper vigilant. How much of that translated to being a corrections officer?
1: Well, I'm going to simplify it for you, man. Just because I was a hardened war veteran doesn't mean that I can come into the prison and start slapping people around and calling them the B word. You know what I mean? That is not going to end well. I'm going to get attacked viciously. So that put things in perspective as far as that goes. Yep. You still need to have those communication skills. You need to still have those people skills. But violence, <laughs> easy. Uh chaos, easy. Uh, so calm. So calm in the chaos, so calm in the violence. It's like that's where I operated the best. When shit is a fucking haywire, I'm the calmest like like hmm. While everybody you can tell when people are you can tell when people are um like lit up.
0: Yeah. Do you think that comes from training, experience, oh, yeah, or both? Yeah, yeah.
1: Train experience. Um, cool thing about well, I'm not gonna say the cool thing about war is that you know prior to going to war, you always ask yourself, how am I gonna, how am I gonna perform? Am I gonna panic? Am I gonna run? Am I gonna flee? Am I gonna fight back? But it's true to what they say, man. Um, your training takes over. You, you, the more repetitions, the more
0: muscle memory. It just becomes second nature. Right. Yeah, that's why I'm always so shocked when cops don't train jujitsu because, like, yeah. y- you take a, a and I know we've we've talked a little bit about this, but I mean, especially street cops too. Mm-hmm. It's like most of them and most cops are, you know, not to be offensive, but most police officers, like sixty five percent, are are obese or right. overweight, right? right? So <clears throat> I don't know. Just I mean, training when you see somebody that trains hard and then they're thrown into a circumstance the training and remembering your training seems to be what pays off and keeps people alive. So I don't know why people don't train more, but... That's the truth. Yeah, and and that's with anything, right? That's the
1: truth, yeah, with anything, with anything.
0: Yeah. So, um, okay, so you go into the military, you go to Iraq, and you come back when?
1: I leave out of the country March 2005, back to Germany. Okay. We land in a... Well, we land at the airport, but then we get bust into this hangar, like an airplane hangar. And, you know, they got all the soldiers and troops in there. This is 2005, March. There was like a battalion commander in the front, and he's like, hey, don't drink and drive. Don't beat your wife. And if you hear loud noises, you might be startled. Get out of here. And that was it, man. Hmm. That was it.
0: Did you have any kind of support system or that was it yeah i mean any any like uh like family that had been to war anybody that you could reach out to. the first one yeah wow
1: not only that man 2005 there was no wounded warrior project there was no ptsd prior to that was the vietnam veterans and we not to put a stereotype i have the utmost respect for vietnam veterans by far man especially after serving in the military but you know a lot of them went to substance abuse a lot of them ended up homeless and on the streets yeah nobody knew about what was about to happen for a global war on terrorism vets yeah. afghanistan and iraq
0: hmm and and what was the difference do you think you are you saying that it that it was worse or that it was
1: uh no i wasn't saying that there was a difference i was saying that we were ill prepared Even though we should have been. Right. You know, for the next one, that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. For the next war, because it seems like there's one every 10 years. Yep. Oh, you better believe I'm going to be out there to put my hand out. Yeah. For those young troops coming back.
0: Right. My dad was in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And one thing that he's shared with me out of the little that he's talked about it is how lonely it was when he came back. Oh,
1: dude. It was hell on earth, bro. It was hell on earth. I felt like an alien. I felt like an alien back here in the United States my friends that were killed in action they were constantly on my mind constantly on my heart uh driving i wasn't it was i I was so embarrassed and so shameful because i was doing things that i had no control over like driving in the middle of the road Mm. because i was used to driving in the middle of the road in iraq because there's roadside bombs on the side and here i got my dad yelling at me what are you doing get over there and i'm just like feeling embarrassed and shame and but i don't know how to you know get the words out but another bad problem is that in iraq i learned how to transfer every single emotion into rage yeah to survive mm. so imagine you got my dad yelling at me get the thing i'm and now enraged couple in alcohol and drugs and i'm a ticking time bomb yeah it was not cool it was fucking hell on earth
0: man so you said that you started getting into drugs and that's when the real trouble came is when you got back. So let's dive into that. So,
1: and this is not something I haven't really talked about up until yet, man. so like another bad thing about Iraq that gets drilled into your brain is in order for you to survive or in order for you to function, you have to tell yourself I'm already dead. I'm already dead. Like, if I cannot fear dying because I'm going to be petrified. You know, I'm going to be, like, frozen. Once you make that, de- once you accept that, and I- and we used to keep an extra bullet, 5.56 five, with us, because we would have killed ourselves in the attempt that we were going to get captured. There was no way we were going to get captured and get our heads chopped off on live TV or anything like that. So imagine you're coming back from war like that turned up right i remember the first time i tried um meth it was because i had that mindset of i didn't care i was supposed to die and i didn't die now what what do i care this is just this is extra now this is just bonus time like you know my friends didn't make it back here i am this is just fuck i am a am going to go all out so told you brawlies was a lot of drugs I used to have these house parties, and a lot of my friends did drugs, had drugs. That At that time, that wasn't a part of my life, but I remember telling them, I want something. <laughs> the dude tells me, you want to stay up for days or you want to stay up for hours? I'm like, it don't matter, bro. And it turned out to be meth, dude. There I am snorting some freaking meth. That's how I got introduced to it.
0: Mm. What was the first time like being on meth?
1: Uh, I would say it's like kind of like the first time being on weed or first time drinking you just don't know what to expect so you're just kind of your bubble you're just waiting for something to happen yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're like a bang you know the surprise yeah but that's how i would say that was got it. that first experience
0: and then it was what and then it the was races? just
1: yeah but i'll be 100 percent with you i never liked that kind of stuff i never liked coke i never liked meth i only did it because i could drink more stay up longer to drink more yeah it made me feel like complete shit man bad
0: was the drinking to just numb yourself
1: self-medication um self-medication i just let i just i didn't have anxiety if i was drinking i probably did i just wasn't registering um I want to say I didn't have sorrow when I was drinking, but clearly I did. If I was breaking down crying about my dead friends, it's like I just didn't feel it. Yeah. I wanted to numb myself. Hmm. But that came, the fuck that came with consequences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One thing about alcohol is, and especially getting sober, um, what I noticed and what I've noticed from all of my friends that also got sober is when you get sober, the real work begins. People think (sighs) that everything's better, but you've been, you've been, covering this up this whole time and then you get sober and you've got all of this um traumatic stuff that you've shoved down and especially in your case and and it's physiological too right so you've you have before or when you come back from war i assume that you have cortisol and your stress hormones are at an all are, are completely maxed out everywhere you go you're hypervigilant you're looking everywhere all the time you you how can you not, right? And uh, you know, and then and then you you try to make that go away by drinking, right? Because then you relax, it gets your cortisol levels down, you get to chill. It's the only time where all of a sudden you're not looking at everything. And I've, you know, um, I just know so many people that have gotten sober, and then all of a sudden that comes back up, and now you got to fight the real war with yourself, which then is a whole nother problem. People think right when you get sober, everything gets better, you know? But when you have this instant fix to this problem that you've been using, that now has more problems than the problems it solved, now what? So what was it like when you first got sober?
1: I'm glad you brought all that stuff up, man, in the manner in which you did it, because it's all mental uh, brain chemicals. You talked about cortisol, there's dopamine, there's adrenaline, there's serotonin. And that's what my all my stuff was firing off, like you stated, man. So when I was drinking and using drugs and sleeping around with women that I shouldn't have been with and driving fast and getting in fights, I was raising that trying to get that dopamine, trying to get that fix. Yeah. uh, uh, To try to compare to combat. Yeah. I would get nowhere near close. You know what I mean? But it was still just searching. I damn near had to die numerous times for me to ask for help, man. Um, my nine lives are, are, are up, plus some. And uh, when I finally did at the VA hospital here in La Jolla, in the emergency room, that's when the real work began. Like you stated, it's not a just because you get sober doesn't mean the world stops and everything becomes roses and rainbows and sunshines. Like what that did was exposed every single thing that I had suppressed all those years raw, in the rawest form. So guess what, Hector? The shit you thought you were numbing, the shit you thought you were shoveling away, packing into a little suitcase, is all right here in the open. Luckily, thankfully, when I went and sought treatment for my alcoholism in rehab, I was doing, um, it was SAMI group, Substance Abuse and Mental Illness. So I was tackling my PTSD treatment And substance abuse, I would be going back and forth between classes. And, and, uh, dude, I hit that hard for like 10 years, bro. Like constantly. I broke my foot at work when I had a few months of sobriety. So I didn't have no alcohol in my system, but they gave me Vicodin. Mm. They gave me Vicodin. Like I said, bro, I'm an alcoholic and I'm an addict. I used to snort Vicodin in the past. So I break my foot, I get Vicodin, I'm sober, we go to Big Bear on a family trip, and in between San Diego and Big Bear, there's that Riverside National Cemetery, Well, my brother that was killed on my mom's birthday, Edgar Daclon, Doc, he's buried there. I remember driving back, and um, the emotions were too much for me, man. The emotions were too much for me. This was raw, remember, I told you I'm sober, And and I abused my Vicodin. I abused it in the, in the sense of I knew what I was doing when I took it yep. to numb myself. I went to the VA hospital afterwards, talked to a counselor or whatever, and I told her what I did. You know, that was honest of me, and I'm glad I did because she's like, Hector, you need to stop that. Your brain doesn't know the difference between alcohol and Vicodin. Your brain just knows that, hey, this is a feel-good chemical, and I'm like, holy fuck. After that, I stopped everything, everything. I didn't quite reset. I didn't reset my my sobriety date from the alcohol. It was only like a couple months. But the truth is that I abused Vicodin early on in my sobriety. And since then, I've been 12 years clean and sober from all substances. Amazing. Dude, yeah.
0: So it must have been nice to realize, because when you're going through that, I'm sure it feels something like I'm going crazy. And then you get somebody that says, hey, here's why this is happening. Here's the data. This is the. This is why you feel like this. And then it's like, oh, I'm not damaged. I'm not broken. We can fix this. Did that kind of...
1: 100%, bro. 100%. I'm glad that... Uh, let, me, let me say something to the viewers real quick. Like if you're self-medicating for trauma that you endured... Whether you know it or you don't know it, when you stop self-medicating, God willing, you f- get the help you need. You're gonna have to f- work on that. It's not easy, but it's possible. Right, right. You got two dudes sitting across the table that have sobriety under their belt, and it's a daily, it's a daily struggle. It's a daily, you know, uh, reprieve. Yeah. So, what was that second question you asked me?
0: Um, I don't know, man. We're we're on a no. Roller. It was
1: uh, it was pretty good, but it was um. Hold on. Damn, I got a shitty memory too, man. That comes with sobriety and PTSD and everything else, bro. head injuries? Yeah. Me too. Fuck, my bad, bro. Forgot.
0: No, you're good. Me too. So I was going to ask, so being at the VA, so I assume there's a period of time where you're fighting this battle on your own. So now you're back at the VA. How much of being in these groups with other veterans and hearing similar stories and realizing, oh, fuck, like I'm not alone, how much of that, helped
1: so that's what you had asked me you had asked me did it help you when you found out scientifically what the yeah, hell was going right. on with you Hector and I'm like yeah dude for sure I thought I was losing my damn mind yeah you know everything from sitting with my back up against the wall at a restaurant so I can observe the front door they're like you're doing that because your mind has been rewired like hyper vigilance right when you stay in that period of time for prolonged Working in a prison for years, being an inmate in prison for, for twenty years. You that f- if you're in that constant fight or flight mode, it does stuff to you. So you have to rewire that. She's like, Hey, from here on out, when you go to the restaurant, sit with your back towards the door, I'm like, Man, lady, if I get killed, I'm gonna be upset. She started laughing, but you know, you do have to trust the process
0: yeah and that's called neuroplasticity Ooh. and nerves that fire together wire together and this is a relatively new not new but i mean this wasn't my dad coming home from vietnam didn't get this my grandpa coming home from world war ii didn't get this so this is the science that right. you've been able to back some of this up and also the social acceptance of like why this is has got to be as fucked up as everything is it's got to be better than, than not having it. And, and what people don't understand is your brain. And yeah, that you have to build that neural network. You're, when you have habits, your brain creates literal physical highways in your mm-hmm. head that connect two points. And then when the pattern happens of the first thing it connects and fires, and now you have this action that's right. That's so PTSD, bro, you're it's spot on. Yeah. I got goosebumps because you know, I. I haven't that's been it. to war, but I have been through some traumatic stuff That's that I've dealt with it. I, I get, on a very surface, basic <laughs> entry level, I, I, I've I been there. No, and that's
1: that's gold what you're saying, bro. That's
0: absolute fucking gold. And I think that peop- So for me, I used to have panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And panic attacks from shit that I had been through in the past, panic attacks would trigger me to drink, mm-hmm. right? Well... I change, not even knowing this, I just kind of pick this up in my brain. Oh, if I do something different when I have this, and they talk about trigger behaviors. Triggers. Yeah. You got to change your response. So all the way down to the little stuff, I want a cupcake because I feel hungry. Now your brain gets a, when you eat that cupcake goes, Ooh, you get all the good feelings because it, you know.
1: So let's even take it a step further, man. I being there in Iraq, there's Middle Eastern people there, man. They wear the whole getup. Well, I had associated every Middle Eastern person to be a bad person. Yeah. Right. Through my experiences to my friends getting from just horrors, right? Of war. When I came back, I had a real tough time seeing them here in America. And I, that was a trigger for me. That was a trigger. I brought it up to the counselor in the VA. She's like, well, well right now your mind is wired to when you see them, it, it goes back to this. Is there anything you can say or rewire to unfix that i'm like well yeah i can say that my beef is not with you it's like perfect say that every time you see them say that and in my head bro my beef is not with you mm. my beef is not with you and now i don't have that <sighs> when i see them you know what i mean it's normal
0: dude that's beautiful that's the truth fuck that's a hard way to learn that's but... the truth Damn, you know what dude. i mean i don't want
1: to be a stereotypical but that's what my brain went through
0: yeah Yeah, no, I mean, that's... But but see, this is what people don't understand or don't think of when they think of PTSD. Uh Traumatic event happens. Your brain is... Your number one physiological response is to keep you alive, right? So when an explosion goes off or when you see somebody, whatever, whatever the the thing that lays that highway inside your head, you know, you have to undo that if you want to change what you're getting, right? So what tips if somebody maybe is watching this and and they're either a vet or they've dealt with ptsd from whatever situation what do you what would you tell them to start to work towards you know getting better
1: well another example can be if a loved one has been shot by a police officer in the line of duty they might associate all cops are bad right cops hurt my child now all cops are murderers when that, is that really the truth that's not the truth but like you said they just connected the mentally right you know secondary ptsd or yeah primary ptsd right so the advice i would be is like hey understand this is my advice ptsd is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation another advice you did not have to go to war or be a combat veteran to have experienced post-traumatic stress disorder and i get this all the time and i'm glad i'm making it out there. i'm getting chills now saying it, it could be anything anything that's traumatic right uh uh a rape victim, a car accident victim, being a victim of a robbery, all kinds. The list goes on and on, man. Yeah. So, will it go away on its own? I had a Vietnam veteran tell me in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting one time. He's like, Hector, it's never going to go away. Never. I have all these years of sobriety. I have all these years after Vietnam. It's never going to go away, man. And that hurt me and helped me at the same time. It's like, okay, this is going to be an ongoing battle. It's going to be an ongoing battle. But, I do it one day at a time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's also one thing that sobriety teaches you is how to take this macro thing. Like, okay, you're probably always going to have some kind of addiction. So, like, you're just hardwired for that, and you've done this so long that it's you can work on it every day. Are you gonna completely shut it down? Probably not. But if you work on, it, at least for me, like I, I am miles ahead of where I was when I was drinking, but you know, uh, the addiction goes into other things, right? So like, maybe it's TV, maybe it's working out, maybe it's jujitsu, maybe it's something like that, but you're always going to have that. You might as well take that energy and try to at least use it in a good direction. That's
1: what we're doing now, bro. Yeah. But yeah, how do I, how does my days look like now versus then? Well, now I start my day working out, start my day eating healthy, start my day reading books and getting knowledge. Start my days by working. Uh, nowhere in there did I say I go to bars, get shit faced, go buy some drugs, go sleep with a married woman, drink and drive, crash a car, go to jail.
0: <laughs> you see that? Although it sounds fun,
1: <laughs> you see the difference in my daily patterns. Yeah, I'm always trying to help people now.
0: you, know, yeah. if you can't
1: help them, don't hurt them.
0: Yeah. So, w- how long had you been working in the prisons when you decided to get sober?
1: Three, three years of three years of drinking while being a correctional officer, a young correctional officer and came with the troubles. Yeah. DUI.
0: After you were already a sworn officer. Correct. Correct. Damn. So DUI. let's talk about that. So so you're so you're you're so just to be clear, uh you guys although you go to a different academy, you're the same as a sworn peace officer in the state of California, right? So you're you have peace officer powers while you're on the clock. Okay, got full, it. Full peace officer powers. So when you're off duty, you don't
1: Correct. Still so that's the difference. They'll, they'll hold your ass accountable as if you still were. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you get arrested, so did you get arrested? You go to jail with the DUI? Or- yeah. Yeah. 2009. Okay. Cause sometimes they cite and release. And no, wasn't no, 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 sure I went to jail. actually got processed. Or- yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, how, how did you feel when, cause now you, you lead this life in the military, you know that you've always been, you know, a rambunctious kind of re- rebellious dude. And then you're a, you're a, police officer and then you know you you get arrested right so what's that like
1: wasn't my first rodeo wasn't my first rodeo going to jail yeah prior to becoming a co i had did a one week stint um beer run in the same jail so i kind of knew the place unfortunately the process the fingerprints the picture yeah but i was this time in like my own little cell because of my status right um for protective reasons. It's not that I asked for it. but Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, they got to do what they got to do. They put you in there and bailed myself. The thing about me when I was drinking, it was everybody always else's fault. Mm. Oh, it wasn't my fault. It was a cop. The cop was a fucking asshole. Yeah. Oh, the cop was just waiting for me. Oh, the cop didn't have nothing better to do. Hey, but nowhere in there did I take accountability that I drank, consumed alcohol, yeah. got in the vehicle, and drove. Right. So that's how I lived my life.
0: Yeah, man. That's really powerful because, um, if every, if like, I always use a reference of the person who says, Oh, all my exes are crazy. It's like, (laughs) "Mm, maybe not, maybe it's you, you know, we're usually, I think that accountability and holding ourselves responsible for our own actions is a superpower that most people don't have. Most people point the finger Mm -hmm. at other people it's crazy.
1: That's not good for growth, self-growth, or. but I was there. Like I said, I was used to blame people. So as far as the process at work at that time, 2009, it was no big deal. You just write a letter to the captain, a memo, and I took my one-day suspension.
0: It was a one-day suspension. For at that D. time, one-day yeah. suspension. So is this common for correction officers to get arrested?
1: Very common.
0: Yeah. So here's my question. We on this podcast talk a lot about the people that you surround yourself with you're, you know, the five closest people that you spend the most time with, you're going to be the sum of those five people. So when you're a prison guard and you're hanging around with, you know, obviously corrections officers, but prisoners, you're in there. People, people think that you're, you're working as a prison guard, but you're in the prison just as much as they are. And you just get to go home. Right. You know? Right. So how much of your surroundings, you know, that old saying of, of, you know, the, the high tide raises all ships, right? You're all on the same level if you're around each other. So how much of that did you kind of rise to their level or sink to their level?
1: It's a good question, especially right now in this time frame. I've been, st- I've stepped away from the job five months now. Yep. And the more that I've, the, the more time progresses, the more bigger picture I get. And oh, for sure, man, you become a product of your environment. All right. I was already rambunctious, as you said. I was already a hyper guy. I had already performed acts of violence on people in Iraq. So, fuck. I mean, I guess prison was a great place for me to be uh, as far as like to operate day to day. So, a lot. A lot. I mean, being an inmate, if you're a rat, you will get targeted. You will be ostracized on the green side correctional officer side if you're a rat kiss your ass kiss your career goodbye ain't nobody gonna talk to you right for the rest of your career i'm telling you you rat on your first day at work you could go 30 years without talking to another human wow they might say oh hey or good morning but <laughs> that's how it is so right. that's look at those uh look at those similarities
0: yeah right yeah it's almost like there's there's and gangs and, on and, both sides and
1: um you know, I never, ever, 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 ever toot like my own horn or say I was a badass or I did this. I did that while working in the prison system. But I tell you what, I didn't care about much. But what I did care about was the safety of my troops, especially when I was a supervisor or my peers. Right. So you want to talk about like inmate mentality, just the way that they're trained to go, go, go. And if yeah. they see something kick off because yeah. they'll go without even. Without delay. Yeah. (laughs) Me and other people were the same way. Not everybody's like that, but without delay, man, you're going to jump in the mix. Right.
0: Yeah. So did you get a lot of that kind of dopamine and adrenaline fix that you were looking for? Mm -hmm. Subconsciously, you probably weren't even knowing that you were looking for it.
1: Well, you know what? People ask me that question and I tell them, I don't know where my PTSD from the army stopped and where the one from corrections started. Yeah. I don't know. Do I know I was exposed to a lot of trauma while working in the prison? I can tell you, I've seen murders, riots, stabbings, over hundreds, probably thousands of overdoses where yeah. they died, um, yeah. suicides, yep. staff assaults. So you could
0: take that for what that's worth, right?
1: Pretty sure something, you know, pretty sure it had its effect somewhere.
0: Of course, yeah. I mean, there. trauma is trauma, and right. that's. And you mentioned something that I think a lot of people feel guilty about talking about, is if somebody has PTSD from a car accident or from something, like you said trauma's trauma, and you don't have to be in the military or police to be, to have PTSD. So I think, and although there's levels, I think that a lot of people don't recognize that, but you going from the army to another traumatic environment, it's all the same stuff, it's just a different scenario, different place
1: yeah, but for me, as a, for me personally, everything that I saw in Iraq, well, not everything, the most traumatic experience that I experienced in Iraq overshadowed what I experienced in the prison system, right? And that one of my friends getting ki- my friend getting killed, my brother getting killed, and then the, ca- the car bomb that I seen that killed 22 Iraqis. Wow, that it was, I mean, I, I don't know what can top that. It was 22 yeah. charred bodies, pieces of people, right in January. So it was cold outside and you could just see steam coming from pieces of meat everywhere.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So in prison, right? So when you first went in, what was that like being a prison guard in the beginning?
1: Um, you're new, you're new. So it's like your new first day of school, uh, identical to the first day of school. You got the butterflies in the stomach. you, Don't know where, what office is what, what key goes to what door, this and that. And luckily, I had great partners at Sentinella. Didn't realize what great of an institution it was, how great those people were, until I left to the other prison. And then you're like, oh, wow, what the hell did I just do?
0: So Sentinella is a level four prison, right? It was
1: all level three GP but they transform one yard to level four. They would keep flipping it.
0: Can you explain to everybody what the levels are in the California prison system?
1: So in California, you have four levels level one, which is your minimum inmates. Back in the day, you would see them picking up trash at a park or the trustees or on the side of the road. They're level ones, less secured. level twos is one step above that level threes. Now we're getting into the business of prison, what you would think prison, right? Major riots, don't get it twisted riots happen at all levels but that's when you know and then level fours forget about it man uh weapons shanks yeah um shanks all all the time
0: (laughs) yeah right so what is a typical day like uh on a level four yard
1: it's it's not chaos well unless you're at donovan but it's not chaos man they're structured they're structured it starts in the morning You release for chow, right? The inmates got to eat their breakfast in the culinary in the chow hall. You release them in a structured format. One building comes out, start the next building, start the next building, lock them up. Then there's a little bit of downtime, not much, but a little bit, then you release them out to the yard. Now they get to play in the recreational yard. Now you start your medical appointments, your mental health appointments, chapel, if it's a weekend. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a little city. You know, people got shit to do and places to go.
0: Yeah. That's so. kind of, yeah. It's kind of weird to think about. It's its own little community. It, it
1: is. It is. But hey, since you're in there with people of that nature, convicted felons to keep it real. Yeah. It, it has a propensity for violence. Right. And it kicks off at times.
0: So let's talk about when it kicks off. What are some of the crazier things that have happened?
1: <sighs> riots. Now, riots were more in my earlier career in other prisons and other people's careers now till this day stuff is still kicking off man yeah. it is normal for these major incidents to happen and they can kick off a variety of ways race riots i don't know what people what well, people do know now california they segregate themselves by race yeah you got your blacks your whites your northern mexicans your southern mexicans and your others at times, so they'll go at it with each other.
0: Now the Northerners and Southerners are kind of like treated up now, right? Right now, yeah,
1: they're in a treaty and it's working. Hmm. To be real, it's working.
0: Yeah, wow, yeah. So the so e-
1: even the whites, the the whites and the Southerners are treated up.
0: Yeah,
1: and it's always been like that. There will be allies when they need to or when they decide to be.
0: Right, right. Wow. So I, I heard you tell a story on the Connect Pod um, about a dude that tied. Uh, a knife to his own hand mm-hmm. so they couldn't you know he's a mental t- tell me about that so i was at sentinella
1: after eight years as an officer i got promoted to a sergeant you get the shiny little chevrons the responsibility a little bit more pay so i'm at a new prison donovan here in san diego that was like the a circus different type of inmate mentally unstable you got transgenders you got all you got everything under the sun that i had never been experienced to at centinella really disabled inmates you got the whole nine got it i was a sergeant it was a sunday i want to say it was february 8 2015 8 p.m. at night on a sunday you would think hey everything's winding down i got two more hours for the end of the shift to happen And the buildings, there's five buildings. It's building 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. The inmates were getting their medication from the clinic, and I hear the alarm. Mm -hmm. Housing unit 17. I could see. It's a distance. I didn't hear nothing on the radio. The radios at that time sucked. They weren't really working. Something just told me, run. It was a gut Mm -hmm. feeling. Yeah. And and I've been in pretty good shape, so I just run. (laughs) Sprint, really. I come in, I see an inmate at the podium area in the center of the housing unit with staff doggy piling him. Mind you, that alarm is loud, like really loud. I had my baton extended, right? Because they, they teach you, well, I learned this at Centinella, before going into a housing unit, you expand your baton in case the inmates are waiting to ambush you Yeah, like they did at Calipat Prison, right? We do things for a reason. Yeah. So my mind is like, what is going on here? I was a sergeant, so I'm in charge. And I'm like, was this a fight? Well, where's the other inmate? If it was a fight, where's the other inmate? Right. And then I hear the officer say, he stabbed me, Sarge. He has a knife or he has a weapon. I look, dude's hand was like this, down. Actually, exactly like this, because I was from the rear. and, And I could see something protruding here. So I hit him right here on the forearm.
0: Boom, with Those all Those batons are heavy. I mean, it was a, not
1: an ASP, but a knock-knock
0: baton. Okay. Same
1: expandable. It has yeah. the power safety tip. It's not steel, but it's like rubber, hard, whatever it is, yeah. plastic.
0: Still hurts.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I broke his arm. Yeah. So, bah! he yelled in pain and threw his arm up this way, this little broken arm, and brought it back like this. Then the, the, the officer yelled, he has it tied to his hand. So I'm like, what the fuck? So like again, tunnel of it, Like I look, <laughs> this dude got bed sheets and and you know cut the sheets to make string and and went in and around his fingers, around his wrist, like a like a boxing wrap almost. A, a boxing wrap. Damn. A boxing wrap with the shank hanging out of his freaking hand, so that if he goes like this, yeah, it ain't going nowhere.
0: Yeah, literally. Yeah.
1: I think the dude wanted us to shoot him to death. Yeah. Suicidal type of because we do have the mini 14s up in the control booth yeah right but if he wanted to do that, what he should have done is get some distance from the cops because we're not gonna shoot if everybody's fighting right there yeah So I'm like no way right and I'm this is all seconds. yeah people are coming in so then I just go to stomping him out stomping, stomping. So the reason I stomped him out and I've never really said this either on a podcast was because in Iraq I kicked the dude so many times that I couldn't walk. The next day literally my shin was so jacked up so i just got to stomping he's screaming he's whatever and uh i was trying to break his legs i was literally trying to do all of this man just trying to stop this madness and somebody had somebody had the common sense to yell get the cut down to it." it was just a pair of scissors 'Cause mind you there's people jumping on him. There's people trying to get like little punches. I mean, everybody's doing what they can to prevent this guy from hurting yeah. hurting more people.
0: Do your guys have stab vests on? We do. Okay. So
1: that dude got hit in the bicep, which there's no stab left, vest there. Left side too. Yeah.
0: Fuck.
1: In the bicep, in the right here, and in the vest.
0: So the vest may have saved his
1: life. Well, clear yeah, it did. Yeah. So
0: And how big was the blade?
1: Not a big one. It was it was enough to I mean, it doesn't take much to kill somebody. Yeah. Well, like yeah. three inches to kill somebody, maybe four.
0: Or the right. I mean, just the right cut.
1: Yeah. So he was high on meth for five days and he had made up some story in his head. So finally cut it off and then had to clean up the mess, man. Dude, there's blood everywhere. There was blood everywhere because that inmate got hit in the head with a baton. Yeah. And it was a bloody mess. Yeah. Wow. And that was my introduction to Donovan as a brand new sergeant. Wow! And I look at the cops. I'm like, "Hey, is this shit normal?" Like, they're like, "No, sorry like, no." They like, is this fucking happen every day here or yeah, what? Right. <laughs> but
0: I guess it was like I I can't say it's a fluke because it's prison. Right. Right. So, so let's talk about the the relationship between and like the respect levels uh, between inmates, prisoners, and then the just the internal kind of hierarchy and mm-hmm. just what how is it you know the politics inside. That people maybe from the outside don't understand looking into prison.
1: Like you want to get into prison gangs?
0: More into like like you had mentioned, you can't just walk into a prison and just call somebody a bitch, right? Correct. Like like there's a hierarchy and there's also a level of respect. So I heard you on the Connect Pod talk about like, look, I was a good cop but I wasn't a square. Correct. correct. I'm not taking their tattoo guns. I'm not stopping them from rolling dice or whatever, whatever it is. Right. Right. So I I just want to talk about some of the things that maybe uh, people just cast some light for people that don't understand, because like you said, if you come in and you're going to rat on your, you know, like just the level of politics.
1: So everybody's style is different, man. This was my style. This style worked for me. Everybody's style is different. And that's not saying my style was the best or my style was the worst just happened to be my style, right? There are people that are squares. There are people that are by the book, but they're also firm, fair, and consistent, and that is their style. At least the inmates know, oh, hey, when this dude's here, we got to put up our shit. We got to put up our tattoo gun. So in a way, that's almost respect. Like, that is respect. They're respecting his time and and vice versa. Yeah. They like consistency. If you come in one day like a hard ass and then come and try to come in cool, they absolutely hate that mm-hmm. because they like routine, right? So there's multiple ways to skin a cat. And I did a video on that this morning. It's like letter of the law and spirit of the law. That's what I learned at the academy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let everybody know because I heard you talk about that. This is interesting.
1: So letter of the law is no breaks. You don't cut the dude to break. You don't cut the individual break. You They break a law, you give it to them or whatever the penalty is spirit of the law is like a break, right? Like, hey, man, a warning. You did this. Don't do that again. Or you did this. I'm going to take away this. It's like you're making it work.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: For me, that helped because for the ones that were by the book and the ones that were very stringent and strict, there was no leeway. There was nothing... The inmates were like, well, fuck it. What do I got to lose? This guy's a fucking asshole. What do I got to lose? Yeah. With me or people like that style, it's like, oh, this dude's cool. Right? I wasn't their fucking friends. Don't get it twisted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, when things are here, it's cool. Right? We don't want to mess that up. We're yeah. able to do this, this, and that, and it's yep. going to be a quiet day. Yeah. All we want is a quiet day, man. Right. Show up, go home. Yep. Period. I'm yep. like, You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like I could feel like a Superman or a a cop and like, hey, buddy, give me all your drugs. But hey, dude, I I got fucking 30 years of this, man. I ain't going to make it if I continue to do that.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about how insanely smart in human intelligence and uh, body language, reading, and just personal skills that prisoners are because they... Are masters, masters of human emotion and and psychological manipulation. So masters. talk about that.
1: Masters, 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 and I think I've gained a lot of insight from them, and I've learned a lot from them, uh, especially going through the hostage negotiations course. Is you learn how to read people. They're masters. They they watch you all day long. You're in a control booth. You're in a bubble. It's like you're in a fishbowl. We say that oh, we like we're in a. F-. You have eyes on you. Yeah. They can be literally be like, well, this dude, every day he goes, he gets his water, he drinks it, he puts it down, he goes to the microwave. They watch you. They know your whole thingy. Yep. They're great at manipulation. Like if you're a female and in a male prison and they want to get something from you, they're going to throw the hook. The hook can be like, oh, your hair looks nice today. If If that female officer doesn't nip that in the butt, they just know, all right. I said this, and I'm going to push it a little further yep. and a little further. Next you know, they're having sex with the guards. Did it happen? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what that looks like.
0: Crazy. Yeah. I mean, these guys could be great CIA agents or officers because they could recruit somebody to do something that they don't want to do because they know your baseline. They know where you're at, and they know when he doesn't come in and move it, when he's like this with his water bottle and he's but it works
1: vice versa yeah okay. so us as guard as correctional officers i use the term guard bro it's just easier yeah but us as peace officers if we know notice that the AR you know, this the inmates are always doing pull-ups
0: yeah
1: today they're not doing pull-ups now you got all of them over here fuck you got all the another race over like yeah that's when the that's when the hairs on the next stand up, and you're yeah. like, it's gonna kick off.
0: This Mexicans got on boots. Yeah, <laughs> dude, you saw that shit. <laughs> no, Mexican got on boots. But I know there's a, a the Canadian... comedy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. saw this comedy yeah, skit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Mex-
1: exactly Mexicans Hilarious. got on boots, and that's right. the truth. Because when I was young and new, yeah. Hey uh, Hector, look, all the Mexicans have their heads shaved today. Yeah, they with the big uh, razor. They f Well, not but big razor. Well, yeah, with the razor, they... um shave their heads right they're all wearing their blue attire they all have the boots on and that was more so back then maybe like i said it does happen but i've seen that kind of get watered down throughout the years okay 100 percent true bro (laughs) because when they all fucking go that's the thing about the mexicans man well in every race if if one person if if a race is involved everybody has to get involved if they don't they're going to get attacked by their own people right Right. But for sure, you fuck with a Mexican dude. And that's what's made it challenging because I was always in my mind. Right. If and when I take one down, you're ready. Yeah. You're gonna ride the fucking lightning. You're gonna ride the lightning like a bull. Mm. So my goal would always be to get back to my feet fast. Like I ain't trying to get stomped out.
0: Yeah crazy. That's
1: all I got going for me, man. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, let, let's, let's shift gears a little bit to your, your coaching and the stuff that you do. Tell everybody a little bit about your coaching, um, and what that looks like.
1: So, yeah, like I was telling you working in a prison, I wasn't able to, I was, um, restrained from, from being in talk publicly or even just share my life story. You know, some of the stuff I even shared today, so, I'm like, you know what? I'm all about helping a higher purpose. I want to give back. And one way to do that is to share my message, share my experience, get people in, uh, physically fit, right? Mentally straight, their diet fine tuned. So, I do offer a coaching program where I do exactly that, dude.
0: Yeah, sick. All right. And then who's your like ideal? I mean, look, if you're recently sober and you're looking to change your life right? and you do this for anybody, anywhere, right? Anybody,
1: anywhere. And I want to even tap more into the whole uh, um, substance abuse. Yeah. But like this is brand new to me. So yeah, I can definitely help people on the substance abuse. This I'm the guy.
0: Yeah. Not just substance abuse, but I think your niche, at least what I what I see is like there are so many dudes that have been that are former military with PTSD struggle with alcohol and drugs, and this is just how they live. It's been so long and they don't even know that they can change. Mm -hmm. And, and like you said, like when you realize that it's these cortisol levels and these, you're, you're having a physiological response that's been hardwired into you and you can change that. That is where your coaching can really, really help. So I want to encourage anybody that's struggling, not just anybody that's military, not just, but if you're struggling with habitual behaviors, whether it's drugs, whether it's food, whether you can't get to the gym on time, whatever it is, hit up Hector and, and please, please, please learn about his coaching program. Cause I can tell you that this is, and especially I didn't know you were sober until today, oh, yeah. but that is like huge. And if, if you can overcome what you've done, then you, you own every right to, to help somebody else do the same thing.
1: I appreciate that dude. Thank you.
0: Yeah, of course. And then, so you have a book coming out.
1: No, no, no. Is my book, My book came out, yeah.
0: Okay, so you're doing the book signing, though, you're doing?
1: Yeah, I'm doing the book signing in June. Got um, it. Okay. Los Angeles, Hanford, Salinas, and Sacramento.
0: Okay, cool. Tell everybody a little bit about your book and if they want to learn more. Uh... So
1: prior to resigning, kind of let one person know I was going to quit the job. And he's like, hey, bro, well, before you leave, you should write a book with everything you've been teaching us and pulling us aside and putting us up on game and schooling us and leave it for the troops. I'm like, damn, that's a good idea. None of it is mine, right? As far as these are lessons that have been learned through the prison system. So, hey, just sharing back, giving back to the, you know, the cause. Nice. Because that's the last of a dying breed, bro. Uh, Teaching these young kids just don't have the time anymore, man. Like the system has changed so much. You're so busy with bullshit paperwork. Yeah. You don't have the time to go out there and teach these kids.
0: Hmm crazy yeah there's i mean a lot of the landscape of that stuff is changing and it almost seems like it's by design
1: for sure for sure so yeah that's what you're going to find in the book a lot of stories a lot of personal stories of what i experienced i think the stabbing that whole stabbing story is in there and um yeah etiquette prison etiquette how to conduct yourself
0: yeah so if you're thinking about going to prison or if you (laughs) have an in a pending trial Maybe it's a good, good, uh, and also dive into his YouTube channel as well. His YouTube channel is he's got a great following there, and um, uh, what's your YouTube that prison guard? Yeah, yeah. So I've watched a couple of videos from it, and it's. I mean, if you want to learn about what's happening, what's going on, what's coming up, you know, I, yeah. I would definitely. Yeah. T- tell them a little bit about, about your channel.
1: Yeah. I started that too. When I got out, man, I kind of hit the ground running. It's like, fuck, I, I'm not being a prison guard no more. I got to do this. Yeah. So what am I good at? I'm good at like being sober, you know, through the grace of God, I'm good at helping people. And I'm love prison. I'm passionate about corrections. Yeah. I resigned 12 years earlier than what it was anticipated. So maybe I still got a little of that left in my system, but yeah, yeah you're going to hear the truth of the California prison system.
0: You're going to scratch that it's one way or another.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so tell everybody where, where they should follow you. And if you could leave the audience with one last positive message, what is that?
1: Uh, they can follow me on Instagram, Hector underscore underscore Bravo, or YouTube, that prison guard. And the last message that I can um, leave is that, uh, you know, every sinner has a future and every saint has a past. Like whatever. And this is something I, I talked to a lot of formerly incarcerated inmates and um, tell you the truth. They carry themselves better than the majority of the administration that they carry themselves like men. So whatever you did in your past or whatever, I mean, I was it? I ran amok. That doesn't define you. Right. You get it every day. Every day you wake up, you get a new chance to help give back, grow.
0: Amazing guys. Check out the description, uh, whether you're watching this on Apple or you're listening on Apple Podcasts, watching this on YouTube, check out the description. Follow this man right here. And especially if you deal with some kind of substance or any kind of habitual behavior, you know who the fuck you are. Follow this man. Thank you so much for coming on. I
1: appreciate it. For sure. Likewise.